take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. As you turn there, kind of the context, we're just going to dive right into the middle of this chapter. Read one verse uh, to get started. But the context here is this is one of the Jewish feasts. It's uh, a feast of tabernacles. Um, which is actually just a couple weeks ago, uh, in 2016, the Feast of Tabernacles on the Jewish calendar would have been October 17th uh, through the 23rd. This feast is also known as fe- uh, a feast of, uh, of booths, um, a feast of ingathering. It is uh, a feast to remember the time that the nation of Israel was in booths in, in Egypt, or in, in the wilderness, as God was delivering them out of Egypt. It's also the end of the agricultural year, so it's their time of harvest, time to be able to give thanks for God's provision. And it's interesting that Jesus, He sends His disciples, if we were to read the verse, first part of this chapter, He sends His disciples before Him up to Jerusalem to observe the feast and he comes later by himself he knew he knows he knows that the Jews are looking for him it's interesting there's a verse in this passage that says the Jews were seeking him but they were seeking him for the wrong reason my goodness if you've come here this morning seeking Christ you will find him if you seek after the Lord you will find him but if you're seeking after him for the wrong reasons uh, it is going to be impossible, even if he's right in front of your face. And that's exactly what happens here with the, uh, with the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. Read with me John chapter 7 and verse 24. Jesus says to them, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. The Jews were seeking to kill him. Why? Because they had misjudged his works. They had misjudged his miracle. And specifically, the miracle that we preached about, talked about two Sundays ago from John chapter 5, where Jesus had healed the man at the pool of Bethesda after 38 years of being crippled. And they misjudged that. Look with me, just the verse above it. John 7.23, the Bible says, If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision that the law of Moses should not be broken, are, yet, are you angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? They were seeking to kill the Lord. Why? Because he had made a man every bit whole, well, completely whole, but he had done it on the Sabbath day, and they were really upset about this. Now, what was the Sabbath day? What was the Sabbath day? The Sabbath day was and is in the Ten Commandments. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? It's a day to remember God, a day of rest. It's to remember God's day of rest. It's to focus that it was a special sign for the nation of Israel that they would show their uh, dedication and their love to the Lord, to put their focus on the Lord. It was the Lord's day. It was a day set apart so that they could focus on God and on the Lord. And here we had the Lord of the Sabbath. 
Here we had the man in front of them that the Sabbath day was for, and they were telling him that he had broken the Sabbath. Look, let's look at this passage. It's, it's interesting. We stopped short of this when we taught on, on uh, the, the man being healed at the pool of Bethesda, but turn back to John chapter 5. So he tells them, hey, don't judge according to appearances. Don't judge according to appearances. John chapter 5 and verse 8, Jesus said unto him, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. You know the backstory. This man had been sitting around the pool waiting for somebody to put him in when the water's troubled. There was nobody there to do it. So Jesus says, take up thy bed and walk. Verse 10, And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. And the Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, Listen, real. It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. This is all that they could come up with to a guy that had been 38 years crippled. And the only thing that they could say to him was, this isn't lawful for you. You know, could you imagine this guy? He's sitting there thinking, are you kidding me? <laughs> for 38 years, I couldn't walk. For 38 years, I couldn't pick up my bed. And the first time this guy tells me to pick up my bed, I'm able to do it. I'm set free. I'm made whole. I'm made complete. And you have the... You guys, listen. You, you group of people, you group of people had nothing to say to me for 38 years. You had no good thing to say for me for 38 years. And finally, when Jesus Christ sets me free and I'm able to walk, you have something to say to me. You have to tell me what I'm doing wrong. But you guys have never done anything good for me up to this point. My goodness, listen, just a, just a side note, this isn't the message. But when someone, when, someone, when someone accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and they're experiencing the freedom and the joy that comes of it, please, please, for us that maybe have been saved a little bit longer for them, please don't tell them what they're doing wrong. They had just done the best right thing that they'd ever done in their life. They had just accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and for the first time in their life, they're experiencing freedom from sin. Let's not tell them what they're doing wrong, but rejoice with them for the wonderful gift of God and eternal life. They, listen, they had misjudged Jesus Christ the whole time. They misjudged Christ personally, Jesus, who He was. They misjudged His works. They misjudged his miracles. They misjudged his timing. They misjudged his timing. They misjudged where he was coming from. And they misjudged where he was going. Now listen to me. If people misunderstand you, if they misjudge you, don't feel bad. Because Christ had spent his, his whole life being misunderstood. He spent his whole ministry being misjudged. The whole, it even came later in this passage. We don't have time to, this morning, but in John chapter 7, later, we had the Jews with Jesus there arguing amongst themselves why this could not be the Christ. They said, that, they said this, they said, this could not be the Christ because the prophet Micah said 700 and some years before that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. But, this Christ was born in Galilee. But the truth of the matter was, Jesus wasn't born in Galilee. He was born in Bethlehem, just like the prophet had said 700 and some years before. 
You, you see the most amazing, ironic part about this? These people knew the scripture and knew the Bible so well that they knew exactly when, where he was to be born, but when he stood right in front of them, they missed it. They couldn't see it. He stood there right in front of them and he said, they said, they said well, he's, he's, this couldn't be the Christ. He's from Galilee. But he was from Galilee, and the prophet said that he'd be from there too. But the prophet said he'd be born in Bethlehem, and Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. But you know what they could have done? They could have said, where were you born? <laughs> and you could have said, I was born in Bethlehem. But they didn't. They were just too smart, right? They had, they had all this knowledge of ancient scripture. My goodness, don't misunderstand this. The scripture is so important. But please don't miss what is right in front of our faces. Jesus Christ and His work today, and how they don't contradict each other, they go perfectly hand in hand. Amen. It may just be a little hard to judge yeah. at first, but they go hand in hand. They missed it. Jesus said, make righteous judgment. You know what He's saying? You can't always look at appearances. For the Pharisees, for the Jewish people, for the religious people even today. You know what we major on? Appearances. You know why we major on appearances? Because it's easy. It's because what we can see. Let me just say this. You don't need the Holy Spirit's guidance to make a judgment on appearance. You don't need the Holy Spirit of God inside of you to make a judgment when you're judging on appearances. So be careful, Christ says, be careful. You can't, things aren't always as they appear. Israel's, Israel's greatest king, the greatest king until the king of kings comes, Jesus Christ, which is to come for Israel, the greatest king, you would not have been able to pick him out of a crowd when he was anointed king. Now the king before him, Saul, he was head and shoulders above everybody. His appearance was great. Right? You could have picked him out. But David, the little shepherd boy, listen, God tells Samuel, God tells Samuel, he says, listen, I'm done with Saul. I'm done with Saul. I want you to go down to Jesse's house and I'm going to have you anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the new king of Israel. Now, God tells Samuel to do this, but God left out a couple details. Which one of Jesse's sons to anoint? That would have been helpful information because Jesse had eight sons. And the Bible says when Samuel got there, he thought, wow, this is going to be easy. The first one here, Eliab, he's great looking. The Bible says in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 6, And it came to pass when they were come that they looked on Eliab and said, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Uh, he, uh, the Lord's anointed is before me, but the Lord said to Solomon, right there and then, look not on his countenance or on his height or statue, because I have refused him, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh upon the heart. So after the Lord says that to Samuel, Samuel has the other six, he had the first brother, which he thought was the one, then he has the other six brothers pass by, and none of them are it. And Samuel's like, I know God said it was one of Jesse's sons. He looks over at Jesse and says, do you have any other sons? 
You know, you know Jesse didn't even think that David had a chance. When he said, I'm going to anoint one of your sons to be the next king of Israel, he said it'll be one of the first seven. We'll just leave David out there in the field. I, I think old, old Jesse said, well, yeah, we got one more. He's the rock, though. He's the youngest. He's out there in the field right now. He's taking care of sheep. He's out there taking care of sheep. And Samuel says, bring him here. And this, the, moment that, the moment that Samuel saw him, God said, that's the one. You know why, you know why God said that's the one? Because God looked at the heart. This little shepherd boy, when he come walking in, God said, that's the lion, the bear slayer. That's the giant slayer. That's the king that's going to compile the greatest special forces that Israel had ever known to defeat the armies that hated God. He looked at David and he said, that's the king. That's the king that has a great love for people and a great love for God. You can't always look at the heart. Or look at the outward appearance, but you must look at the heart. It was Veterans Day on Friday, and Cameron gave me a book to read. Just finished it. It was great. It was on a, a man by the name of Roy Benavidez. Roy Benavidez is, a, is a, an American hero of Mexican and Indian descent. He went into uh, the Korean War and then was sent over later to uh, Vietnam. And as the book goes, he was blown up there in Vietnam, stepped on a uh, landmine, and they didn't think that he would ever walk again. They put him in the hospital and were wanting to discharge him. But Roy Benavidez, his whole life an orphan boy, had a fight deep down inside of him that he would not give up. And every night after... After the hospital would close, he'd roll himself out of bed because his legs wouldn't work. He'd pull himself up to a nightstand. He'd hold himself up and put pressure on his legs every night until finally Roy Benavidez had enough strength, even through excruciating pain, to be able to stand and got them to reinstate him. He became, uh, after, after this accident, he became a Green Beret. Went back into Vietnam and served as, as a Green Beret in Vietnam. And there was a mission that was happening. Twelve of his buddies, twelve Green Berets, were out uh, on a mission. And, and Roy Benavidez was back at the home base. And, uh, and he was actually, said, he said he was sitting around a Jeep. They were having a Bible study around the hood of a Jeep. And the radio started coming in that they, this, these twelve uh, were in deep trouble. There was 12 of them surrounded by 350 enemy. And these choppers went out to try to bring them back, these 12, and they were all being shot up. A couple of them had already been killed. And the choppers came back. They couldn't even land. As they were trying to go down to get them, they were all being shot up. And Roy, without even thinking, he said he didn't even think about it, he ran and jumped in the next chopper without having to volunteer. He ran and jumped in the next chopper that was heading out to try and to try and bring him out. And when the chopper went down to try and get him, the book says that the chopper was getting shot up so much that it had to pull out, and Roy Benavidez jumped out of the chopper and ran to these guys and began to get them together. He was shot as soon as he was, uh, as he was got out, shot in the leg. Uh, he began to compile all these guys together, uh, getting game plans, calling, calling for more help, giving the guys that were already shot morphine so that they'd be able to get up and run to the choppers. 
And a long story short, Roy, as the next choppers were able to, as the next choppers were able to come in, took three trips. The book says that Roy Benavidez saved eight lives that day, eight of the twelve. He was shot twice in the back, I believe, if I remember right, shot twice in the legs. He was got into hand-in-hand, hand-to-hand combat while holding his intestines in with a knife. He was knifed in the arms. He was headbutted. Jaws were broke. Uh, all this sort of stuff. Finally gets on the airplane on the chopper after saving all these guys' lives and getting all this done, and they start buttoning up the body bag, thinking that Roy was dead. And all that Roy could do when an, when an, on, on an office, when a uh, uh, medic put his hand on his chest, was spit. That's all he could do. His jaw was broken. He couldn't do anything else, and he spit, and they said, oh, this one's still alive. You know, there's just some people that have so much heart that you've got to kill them to stop them. And God knows that. When God looks at the heart, uh, He sees. Uh, Roy Benavidez, I don't know if I mentioned, he eventually was given the Congressional Medal of Honor by President Ronald Reagan. And uh, there's some people like Roy Benavidez that they got so much heart that you can't even kill them. I mean, they're that tough. God, you say, how would you, could you have been able to tell that by looking at the outside of Roy Benavidez? You wouldn't have known it until the heat of the battle, that there was a, that there was a, 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 an American hero inside. God, though, he looks at the heart. I think of an Old Testament story of Jacob. As he was seeking a wife, he went out and started working for, for Laban, his uncle, and the Bible says that he saw Rachel, and Rachel was beautiful. But Leah, she was a tender-eyed. And, and Jacob, he wanted to uh, marry Rachel, but through the course of things, it was God's will that Jacob married Leah. You say, how do you know it was God's will that he married Leah? He eventually married both of them. But later in Genesis chapter 35 and verse 23, the Bible says, And the sons of Leah are Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah. And Eschar uh, and Zebulun. He said, what's so special about Judah? Well, that was, that was the tribe that King David eventually came from. He came from Judah. And that was the tribe that God knew before Jacob and Leah had ever gotten together that that was the tribe that the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ, was going to come from. You see, God looks at the heart. Rachel, she had, although God continued to bless Rachel and her children, Jacob and or Benjamin and Joseph, but see, Rachel was a bit of an idol worshiper. And God looked at the heart of Leah and said, I'm going to come through Leah of the tribe of Judah. Later, in the end of Genesis, we see in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 34 that the patriarchs and the matriarchs of of Israel are all buried together. And you see there that tomb that Abraham bought for Sarah is buried Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, and Jacob and Leah. God looks at the heart. When God looked down at Leah, He saw her heart and said, Listen, I'm going to bring forth my tribe, my people 
from Leah? How do we? How do we begin to make righteous judgment? How do we be able to see like God sees? How do we have the mind of Christ? Well, he says this in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, Jesus says here in verse 37, in that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit which they, believe, they that believe on should receive. For the Holy Ghost had not yet, uh, was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. In other words, the Holy Spirit had not come and dwelt inside of believers, sealed believers, until Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and sent His Spirit. But he said about his Spirit that when he sent his Spirit, and that Spirit came and indwelled the believers... He says in John chapter 14 and verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, from the Father will I send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. As we begin to seek the mind of Christ, as we begin to uh, uh, make decisions based upon spiritual insight, it is going to be by the leading and the prompting of God's Holy Spirit. Listen, for us as believers, getting confident in hearing from the Lord, being taught by the Spirit, and being led by the Spirit should not be a strange concept to us. This should not be strange. If it is, think about it. If it is, then we're no different than the Pharisees, and all that we can do is make judgments upon appearances. If we don't have God's Spirit leading us and guiding us and teaching us, all we're gonna, the only thing that we can depend on is our appearance and our, uh, our spirit. spirit. You know what I'm saying. Experience. Our past experiences, right? That's all we'll have to that's all we'll have to go on. But when we've got God's spirit in us, we have infinite knowledge through Jesus Christ to make right decisions. He knows the end from the beginning. He says again in John 16 and verse 13 about the Holy Spirit that would come. He said, Howbeit when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. As believers, we've got to get confident in hearing from the Lord. Samuel, the great prophet that I just talked about that anointed David, king of Israel. He heard from the Lord. He heard from the Lord to know that the David was to be the king. But listen, Samuel wasn't always used to hearing from the Lord. He heard from the Lord many times throughout Scripture and he spoke for the Lord and made these decisions for the Lord. But the Bible tells us that Hannah, his mother, wanted a child so bad that she begged God for a child. And God eventually gave her this child and gave her this boy and Hannah took her boy that God gave her and dedicated him back to the Lord. At a certain age, as he was still a child, she took him to the temple and allowed him to be able to serve 
there at the temple under the priest Eli. Take your Bibles if you would and turn. Let's look at this story in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. So Hannah drops him off. He's going to begin to serve in the temple under Levi. Or Eli, excuse me. In verse 3 of 1 Samuel chapter 3, the Bible says, And there the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Little boy. The Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not. Lay down again. And he went and laid down. The Lord called yet again Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I call not, my son. Lay down again. And Samuel did not yet know, verse 7, the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. And Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. And it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and laid down in his place, and the Lord came and stood and called, as other times. This is the fourth time. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And for the first time in Samuel's life, he heard God speak to him. Listen, we as Christians, we as followers of Christ, you know what we, our prayer should be? Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. My, my ears are open, Lord. I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing for you to teach me. I'm willing for you to show me this week. Lord, speak. Thy servant heareth. This week, show me. Lead me. Guide me. Not just this week, Lord, for the rest of my life. For the rest of my life, God, I am sensitive to your word, sensitive to your prompting spirit. God, I want to I want to judge spiritually. I don't want to just have be able to judge by appearances. We don't want to be like the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 19, where they said this to Moses: Speak thou unto us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. You know what? Sometimes it's just easier for us to have somebody else tell us what God says. Sometimes it's just easier for us to say, well, let somebody else tell me what God says. Now listen, God uses preachers, teachers, and other believers to speak to us and through us and in our lives. That's true. But I'm thankful for the New Testament promises that we have that we can go before our high priest, Jesus Christ. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. And each and every individual that has the Spirit of God inside of them can say, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth, and he can speak directly to them, directly lead them. This is what we need as Christians that aren't following somebody else's voice, but are following the voice of the Good Shepherd. Speak, Lord. Now this is a simple, simple principle. This is simple, but powerful. When we need answers, when we make judgments, ask. Ask. 
have this precious, precious access to God in prayer. <coughs> the Bible says in James 1.5, and you know this verse, if any man lack wisdom, no, he doesn't say that. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and he and it shall be given him. The promise here is that God will give us the wisdom that we need if we ask. I go back to the people that were arguing amongst themselves. Is he from Galilee? Is from Bethlehem? Could you imagine that? There he was. There was other people around that knew. But yet they were too arrogant maybe to say, where were you born? Judging, outward appearance. Listen, he was healing people. He was raising people up. Is it really a bad thing when good is done? How do we come to make judgments that this is not of God when God is doing this great thing in this crippled man's life? The Bible says in John chapter 5, where we were reading, if you were to continue reading after that, Jesus said to them in verse 39, He says, Search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. You know what Christ says? Search the scriptures. If you look at the scriptures, the scripture, just like the Holy Spirit, testifies of Christ, points back to Christ and who he is. But that takes what? Spiritual judgment. It's interesting. They didn't recognize who Christ was, but John the Baptist did. When he saw Christ, he knew that he was Christ. It's interesting that blind Bartimaeus knew who Christ was. And blind Bartimaeus was blind. So it obviously wasn't had anything to do with appearances. It had to do with spiritual judgment. To say, my goodness, that is... The Christ, that is the one that can change my life. That is the way, the truth, and the life. That is the answer for us. Not according to the appearance, but according to the Spirit and the truth. Ask ask the Lord. Lord, is this of you? Things that are going on? Things that are happening in your life? Lord, what should I do? What what direction should I go? Uh, Lord, what am I to learn in this predicament in this circumstance. Lord, reveal yourself to me. Lord, how is it that I am to trust you? That's what our Christian faith and Christian walks about is trusting him, right? Faith. Lord, how can I trust you in this? As each individual believer here this morning, could we say this? Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Lord, I'm seeking you to speak to my life. This isn't strange. It's not a, it's not a, a crazy thing to think that our God and the Spirit of God that lives inside of us could direct our day, could direct our life, could answer our prayers, could show us the direction and give us answers to be able to judge spiritually and not only by appearances. Would we, with the power of the Spirit of God, search the Scripture to be fed and to be led, and to believe it. Speak, Lord, thy servant here. Let's pray. God, as we come before you, Lord, help us. Help us to be spiritual, to be able to make right judgments. 
God, help us not to be those that judge uh, by appearance, but Lord, that we would seek after you, and God, that we would not miss you in any circumstance, that we wouldn't go through life, Lord, just hearing what other people have to say about you, but God, that we could have a personal walk and a personal relationship with you. And like Samuel, the first time when he said, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth, Lord, you started a walk and a relationship with Samuel that took him the rest of his life. God, help us. If there's one in here today that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, God, I pray that they would surrender to the gospel, your death, burial, and resurrection, and accept you today. And Lord, begin to hear your voice and hear your words in their mind and heart and change our lives God for your honor and glory in Jesus name we pray amen